Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 213 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? It feels weird. It's Thursday. Day late, D6 short. <sighs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> It does. That is that is succinct and to the point. Uh, so if you're listening live, uh, this show's this show is uh, happening on Thursday night instead of Wednesday, as our usual thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, everybody kicking on their air conditioning units uh, because in, of the 90 degree heat that we're experiencing here in the Detroit area. Yes. Uh, killed the power grid local to the studio. So yeah, it um, was uh, the the recently updated <clears throat> power grid. Near the studio, they they did a whole bunch of updates this last year, and they were like, "Oh yeah, everything's gonna be just fine." And mm-hmm. I'm like, "Yep, yeah, not so much." So <laughs> we, we we you know it, it probably was the adjacent edge that connected us to like the high voltage stuff, and they were like, "Yeah, we took care of the trees, but we kind of forgot about that maintenance." Mm-hmm. So either way, we're up. It really wasn't that down that long, but long enough that we weren't gonna record the show at like ten o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah. Better so. and better late than never. Yeah. Uh, so we're you know, show show's gonna be around a, a day late for everybody, but uh, we will be here for you. Yes, we are you, here for you. Uh, let's see here. I got my game coming up this weekend. You do. You do. Um, gonna be a pretty talky game, I think. Okay. I don't. I don't think there's gonna be a lot of like action or anything like that. But um, I do expect a, quite a bit of plot exposition. Okay. Um, and uh, there's definitely gonna be a lot of uh, a lot of things moving. So. Okay. okay. Um, like I said, I said to you kind of the other day. I'm like, I'm kind of looking for it to be like the the beach episode in season three of Avatar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, in in what when you said that, I was like, I I can completely imagine this now. All the Fire Nation kids just go and have a party on a beach. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, but like, so much plot exposition happens. It's, well, it's it, it's so much catch up. It's yeah. not just like, hey, we have to do this thing that's mm. going on exterior to us, and you'll learn a little bit more about me. It's no, this is me talking to you and asking you questions about me. Yes, you know, yes. kind of a thing. And it's it, it's different when those kind of things come out, and I like it. I like mm-hmm. it. So. We had an interesting discussion about interludes. Oh yeah, about how yeah. Savage World like like we're like oh like an interlude show like episode. You're like no, not at all. And I'm like what? Because like in my opinion, it's like it, I'm used to the whole like shift in mind frame that an interlude is kind of like the player's turn. Like mm-hmm. where you're handing us a little bit of script, just a yeah, piece of I, it. I hand you the mic and say and, here you go. Right, and the and the group gets to kind of narrate things. But you had an interesting spin on it, which I liked. But it wasn't, you know, clearly what I had in mind for what those things were meant to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, what you were calling an interlude or more like a player's turn. I, I, uh, as much as it works in the scope in the in the in the structure of Mouse Guard. Yeah. Um, it's really not my my preferred way of running things. Um, nothing wrong with that. And so, uh, I mean, I, I I still like to have the reins on things. So when I run an interlude, it's still me directing the action, and mm-hmm. that's what I really liked about about interludes from Savage Worlds. Um, I don't use the random charts out of the book. I typically write very customized, very pointed questions mm-hmm. um, to each one of you. And um, I give those out specifically to give you a catalyst to talk about information I want read into the record. Right. Essentially. Yep. Um, and also to use them to get you thinking about the topic. Yeah. So you can use them as a bit of like foreshadowing. So. Mm-hmm. You know, I may start the game by saying, you know, Tristan, how do you feel about knowing that there is a dragon out there and knowing that your destiny is um, 
you know, that he he's strongly implied that he wants you to be his dragon priest, you mm-hmm. know. Okay, so I'm going to get some thoughts about that, and everybody's going to hear those thoughts, even if they're not, you know, heard in character. At least the players hear that, that, that character's thoughts on that. Right. But also that gets the character thinking about it, mm-hmm. and then I can drop plot in there uh, that has to do with the continuation of that dragon, of his drag- draconic lineage and stuff like that. Um because he's already he's already thinking about it. It's mm-hmm. already in the space. Right, right. You know. Um, but you also know what what way to drop it in. Yeah. Based yeah, yeah, upon yeah. his intentions and evocations. I use them a lot like in when you see television shows that um where like the show opens with one of the characters having a weird dream about a thing that seems like a complete non sequitur, but then that one mysterious figure from their past shows up, mm-hmm. and it's like it has to do with the like they were just dreaming about them like two days ago, you know, right? Sort of thing. So it's it, I use them like that. Yeah, I one of the things that I do <coughs> love about uh, a lot of TV shows now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see it a lot in, in good foreshadow writing is within even before the credits, the opening credits roll, mm-hmm. there's this montage that sets up what the overtone is and what the subplot is mm-hmm. in like 28 seconds. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you can get away with that in your first scene mm-hmm. of your tabletop game without your players recognizing it and then it just ties through, that is gold. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're like, hey... You know, uh, as you guys roll into town, you see the pennants, the banners, and everything that's going on, uh, you know, with your your guide leading you in. And he's just like, oh, no. Pennants, banners, it's summer harvest. It's summer uh, planting fest. I hate this. All the the locals come into town, and it all just ends up being a gripe fest. And then it just leads them into what the summer spring fest is and you see everybody in like mm-hmm. wicker outfits and it's joyous and they're having fun but the subtone is is it brings all the gripes to town yeah 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 and yeah. now you have this inner political war that's happening underneath the guise of this happy mm-hmm. festival that's happening yep. you know yep. every event has an undertone you but just have someone those read things. it out there into the space just yeah. so the audience knows okay this that's is what this is really that's about that's what's going on here yeah. and i i think that's the beauty of those types of mm. moments um but i could see how an interlude allows you to kind of do the same thing mm-hmm. In that you're asking that question uh, to prompt yourself, you know, to say, okay, I have this thought with your character. The real question is, is what are your thoughts on it? And am I, you know, I'm not going to read in any subtext. I'm not going to let you know where I'm going with this. I'm just going to ask you outright, where are you at with this? And they're like, oh, yeah, I hate that guy. And you're like, okay, he hates that guy. I thought there might be kind of a relationship there that's like father figure, but apparently not. Mm -hmm. You know, now you know, and you don't have to digress any further than that you can push that into game yeah sure sure yeah. And, and even if i even if i don't see it coming that at least gives me a little foreshadowing mm-hmm. of like okay so when the inevitable scene of that guy showing up now i know i know t- to switch postures so i'm not taken off guard on it you know well as a storyteller it doesn't mean that that npc doesn't believe he's the father figure oh no no no, no, no. <laughs> I, I know but i can but i can mentally prepare yep. To make that dramatic switch, right? You know, and I can start thinking, how will this character react to that when, yep. when inevitably that, hey, no, actually, I don't see you as a father figure. I hate your guts. Happens. You can already be primed with, you know, okay, well, his reaction is definitely going to be like this. You don't have to hard improv yep. it so much. Yeah. All right. 
we need to pause this. Okay. Because okay, this is a whole separate discussion. We yeah. have we have a show and a bucket full of questions. Yeah. Oh my god, we have we have like a record setting amount of questions for this. I love episode. it. I love yeah, all it's of it. Great. Uh and we 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 love it. We we don't want to stop people from putting questions in. Please, please, please put questions in. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll try and get to all of them tonight as well. Uh but this is the last episode in our combat series. Yeah, yeah. Te- technically, this was supposed to be the last episode of May and not the first episode of June. So just stay with us on that it's, one there. It is the last episode of May. Um, uh, so we're, we're ta- I've been talking about combat the last couple uh, last couple of things. And this is, uh, we're kind of asking the question, do we even need combat? And like last episode, we talked about survival instinct Mm -hmm. and that 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 line in games where like mechanics are basically telling you to become a murder hobo you know because that's what it tells you to do in the game and that's where there's a a whole section on combat you look in the equipment section half of its guns half of its armor and then there's i guess a couple things like 10 foot poles and rope or whatever but mostly it's weapons and armor you know right and so in that you're leaning into those things but it definitely got us into this like concept that, that your instincts drop, right? Your basic instincts as a person drop because you're not you, you're something else. And you're not there in avoiding danger. So what does that do to change things? And how, as a storyteller, do you prep for that? Mm-hmm. Like, is it just sitting there in the back of your head? And then the question really comes into... Do I even want combat? Mm-hmm. Do I need this to be in my game? Is murder part of my game? Yeah. And 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 alongside of that like what other conflict resolution is available to you, you yeah. know? How does that position conflict resolution if combat is not an option? Yeah, like when you're prepping for a story and obviously picking a system and such, some of that carries into it. But I mean, in all fairness, you could run any you can run a story in any system that has that is non-combat. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be violence. Sure. But it just means that combat may not be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the real thing is, is is that even a question at tables? And I, I actually took task to go look at the table questionnaires that people build, like your pre... Like, Give this to your players before oh, yeah. the first game. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. looked through there to see, like, do you want combat as a spelled out question? Uh-huh. And it's never there. It's yeah. it's always scales. It's like, how much combat do you want from 1 to 10? And it's like, okay. Like, right, you're not right. asking a hard question there of yes or no. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that sets kind of an interesting precedence yeah, out I there. Mean, I suppose. I suppose. I suppose the implication there is that you could choose one or z- you know just put zero or whatever. Like, but you're no. I I I don't want it. You know. Right. But I also think within the story framework, you're 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 looking to say, is there a uh, a natural proclivity that we have as storytellers to not produce games that don't have at least the option for combat because we're taking away agency or we're not giving them that thought and in my i guess in my opinion it it sometimes like early in my storytelling i never thought it was an option oh yeah no no i mean to remove that especially you and i you know we we grew up on on D and its ilk 
Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so like I know you're like you and I both had Palladium as as either our first or or, or one of our oh, you know, yeah. earliest. Well, you know, it was both of our first. Yeah, because I had I Robotech. Playing, you had Robotech. I was playing TMNT. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, but that was I mean, Palladium even still to this day I mean, uh, is a very simulationist you know sort of sort of game system. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know comes from that age of that you know those early eighties where everything was kind of stylized off of Dungeons and Dragons because it was the the big breakthrough game, you know, and everybody tried to mimic it because we weren't quite at that part where we could iterate on uh new game systems. Right, you know? right. Um so yeah, I mean of course, of course it was it was uh you know combat filled. Everything was combat filled back in the day, all the way even through, you know, White Wolf's uh you know World of Darkness games and stuff like that that were big for me in college and whatnot. Um, and that, that would have been like the early two thousands, late night, you know, late nineties, early two thousands there yeah. uh, when that was kind of in their heyday. So, um, y- it really wasn't an option because every game had combat in it. You almost couldn't avoid it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was on the covers. Yeah. You know, guys toting guns around, carrying swords, you know, every epi- every single cover of Dragonlance had a dude with a blade and something dead near them. Yeah. Or they yeah, were yeah, hunting yeah. or stalking with a bow, you know, or whatever, right? That sure, was the image that came forward for that. And and that progressed in a methodology that you that we naturally saw ourselves as the big damn heroes with weapons mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know that were were a product of a, a media push effectively or i should say a media shift i won't call it a medium push i will say it is a media shift and i think there's a lot to discuss there mm-hmm. about how osr bred from a media and a history of of certain things and and how trauma affected all of that but what i want to look at is the fact that can you bring to a table the concept of no combat, of removing combat, and what kind of examples and what kind of feelings can we get out of that? And I kind of want to set the stage by saying that, like, not all video games are violent, or not yeah, all sure. video games are combat. Sure, sure. They may be violent. Portal is violent. Mm-hmm. It does not mean it has combat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, there's no gun button, you know, in it. Oh, yeah. Um, C- Celeste is a platformer, and it's got one of the best boss battles I've ever played. Yeah in it yeah uh talos principle it's a mm-hmm. puzzle game there's some violence in it sure but it, it it's definitely then um uh you know there are games that have non-combat options mm-hmm. like the dishonored series i we all know as kind of this sneaky uh you know stealthy murderous thing right yeah you know but it's not assassin's creed it has full options for for just handling things without murder. In fact, I think you get the bad ending if you do kill your way through that game. So it's actually strongly yeah. incentivized to avoid. Yeah. Um. What was the other one? Uh, System Shock was recommended, but the other one was Deus Ex. Yeah. yeah apparently absolutely. has totally non-combat options all mm-hmm. throughout it. And I was like, I you know, it didn't dawn on me. Yeah. As a gamer initially, yeah. but the more I look back at it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, it really pioneered the, uh, uh, the oh, what do they call those? Um, uh, simulation something or another's. Um, I don't know. I'll think. I'll it'll think come of back it. to you. I'll, it'll, it'll come back to me. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 
you always leave, you know, you, you never don't tell people how to unlock the door. Just you know, give them an option. Just just give them options. They can either blow their way through it, or they can con someone into unlocking it for them. If they can pickpocket the key, they work could, around you know, it. Work around it. Find <laughs> an alternate route, whatever. Yep. But you don't tell them. Don't yeah. don't don't tell them. Let them figure that out for themselves. You know. Yeah, and I I think in that sense that there are a lot of TTRPGs that have kind of brought that around as well. Mm-hmm. Um, or or I should say reduced the number of options that are in that. Um. In the sense that you could have, you do have games that don't have guns or damage, even mm-hmm. yep. like it's just not there, um, or that the rules aren't separated. Mm-hmm. Like combat isn't its own thing. Yeah, it was uh, one of the things that impressed me about like uh, Blades in the Dark. Mm-hmm. Um, is that there's there's no like hit points, there's no initiative. Combat is just combat. Really, isn't even combat. Combat's just an activity that happens to be happening, and it's weighted the exact same way that picking a lock or fast talking a guard mm-hmm. is an activity that is happening. Yep. You just happen to roll what is it your brawl or break or something sure. like that for it. You However know? you're going to do it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Um or you know basically handling the approach vector mm-hmm. not the means. Yeah. Like are are you going to oh so you're going to punch the guy? Cool. Roll your punching guy's skill. Are you rolled high? Cool. You did it. You punched him. He's now unconscious. Now what do you want to do? Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then you have your, like, settings that embed it. You know, Blades in the Dark does kind of have an embedded setting thing of, like, when you kill somebody, it has meaning and definition. You know, Raven Circle, and then certain things come to the body and start to try and figure things out. So there's a there's an inherent problem with having dead people around, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, um, or even, like, 7C has reputation things against it. Um uh, White Wolf had, or uh, I should say, Vampire the Masquerade specifically had humanity. Uh, if you did too many terrible things, you could lose enough humanity that you just weren't a decent vampire anymore, you know? Uh, and so those kinds of scales add a level of mechanics to it. Um, you have factors like trauma that can come into that. I know there was a, I'm trying to remember the system that had it. I think it was Traveler had it in it, but I can't fully remember but i think it might have been traveler where uh as it, it was either part of the system or it was an optional rule where if you did caught you know you murdered somebody you checked a box for basically trauma mm-hmm. you know unless you had a military background it caused trauma yeah after yeah, yeah. so many of those you break uh call of Thulu even too has like you know sanity checks uh for like first time you see a dead body yeah you know even, even if you're the one that created it <laughs> yeah um, but to put it in perspective, it isn't just games that are diceless. A lot of people immediately make the jump of non-combat games are games that are diceless. They're mm-hmm. just narrative games. It's like, yeah. that's not true at all. There are plenty of systems that are 100% ready for combat. Mm-hmm. They just don't need it. Yeah. Um, one of the Cortex Prime systems, Hammerheads. Yes. Is a... Uh, and Violent Menace brought this up, actually, which is hilarious. Violent Menace yeah. brought this up. For the record, we already had this on the show sheet. We did. And then Violent Menace was like, you know, Hammerheads. And we're it like, hey, hey, hey. So, we do know Hammerheads. So, so Hammerheads <laughs> is kind of based on, like, Thunderbirds and the whole idea of, like, yeah. we're world saver, saviors, but not like for, a like... a crisis response yeah. team. But, like, there to help people, not there like, to go in and kick gonna, asses. You know, we're going to storm jump this into, like, the, you know, a tsunami 
and yeah. rescue people yeah. and deal with like people trapped or submerged or like oh there's a sinking ship and it's capsized almost all the way over we've got to get a hundred people out of it like how are we gonna do this like mm-hmm. that sounds fantastic yeah absolutely like, heroic adventure after her like we got to stop a forest fire before it takes out a town you see so many heroic daredevils that are just there to kick everyone's butts but like so many like it's nice to have a heroic daredevil but we're here to help yeah you know uh, game i did see one thing because i was uh i went back to look up hammerheads and ask a question about it so i did a search for hammerheads somebody ran a hammerhead D game okay where you are the b team that follows an adventuring group in mm-hmm. but your whole job is to rescue people like while they're handling the problem you're handling the people or the situations that basically sit around them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the support group. Mm-hmm. You're like the healers. You're like the, the you know, rebuild team and things like that. And I'm like, that's actually kind of a cool concept. Do you know, it reminds me a bit of Damage Control, the yeah. old uh, the old yeah. Marvel Comics series. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a short run, I think. Yeah. Uh, and they, they showed up in some of the actual mainstream movies. I think uh, the second Spider-Man movie had a bit about damage control in there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they were originally an organization that basically just cleaned up after these gigantic city-wrecking fights that happened People... between supervillains and superheroes. Yeah, but like, but that kind of leads into Tiny Taverns, which mm-hmm. is a D6 game where basically you and your friends own a tavern or something of that ilk where people come to handle their trauma mm-hmm. and drama and the drama within the tavern, what's happening with these people, how you're helping them, how you're healing them, um, like... You're the calm in the storm, if you will. And that creates its own level of tension. You know, you just came back from a fight with your group. And, like, obviously two of the characters who have been, you know, blade buddies all this time, you know, come back and they have very different ideas about that relationship. Mm -hmm. And now there's a struggle going on there. What do you do as the tavern people to help that out to make sure they can get back out there and do their do what they do best Mm -hmm. you know and i I love that concept because there's so many stories there yeah Yeah, yeah, you know it's it is the 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 soda fountain scenes in all of the tv shows we watched as kids Mm -hmm. you know and it's it's those feel-good moments that that dig into that um wander home is another one that sits more in the narrative scale yeah but it basically asks the question of like hey wait a second so Redwall's adorable and all, because it's got all these animals, but and it starts out in this beautiful, lush area, and all of these creatures, you know, live in harmony, and then, pause. Let's take the and then off. What if things just continued? Uh-huh. With that. Like, what if Stardew Valley and, uh, what's the other one on Switch, uh, the D- Nintendo's? Uh, uh, my time in Porsche. No, 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 no. The one that everybody plays. Oh, uh, Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing. What if they had a baby that involved animals? Yeah, more so. And it's like th- that's it right there. Like it, it doesn't also have any preconceived notions about like all of the snakes are evil and mm-hmm. all of the badgers are vicious. You're like no, that's that's not that's not how it works. Yeah, there's, there's no class struggle here. There's just turnips. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but like there are still problems uh-huh. that you have to deal with, and it's like oh sure, sure that seems reasonable. Look, the mayor lost his lucky purple underwear, and he needs you to find it. Right. You know. Yeah. And he also needs you to keep it on the down low that it's in Pam's bedroom. Correct. 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 <laughs> right up, uh, Marnie. Marnie's bedroom. <laughs> Nobody knows why it's there. Did Marnie steal it from someplace else, or uh, was it just left there? Not if you go behind one very specific bush at midnight. Correct. That is absolutely correct. <laughs> but 
I think the one that caught us both that we had for the longest time in our notes, and we actually referenced in a previous game, was Unknown Armies. Yeah, actually, uh, a big shout out to Technolich, actually. had um, We had a previous discussion about uh, combat and, and um, you know, just kind of either the realities of combat and stuff like that and how gritty it is and whatnot. And uh, Technolich had dropped in um, a snippet from Unknown Armies. Uh, into our uh, into our, our our Discord, and it was just really great. We kind of wanted to read it into the record because just word for word, it is kind of what we're getting along here about um, combat equating to murder being in your games. Yeah. You know, um, and we all take a very flippant you know sort of uh, sort of view of you know oh we're just gonna kill our kill away our problems, but like what are you really doing? You know? Yes. Um, so Unknown Armies, it says, uh, somewhere out there, there's someone who had loving parents, watched clouds on a summer's day, fell in love, lost a friend, is kind to small animals, and knows how to say please and thank you. And yet, somehow, the two of you are going to end up in a dirty little room with one knife between you, and you're going to have to kill that human being. It's a terrible thing. Not just because he's come to the same realization and wants to survive just as much as you do, meaning he's going to try and puncture your internal organs to set off a cascading trauma effect that ends with you voiding your bowels, dying alone and removed from everything you've ever loved. No, it's a terrible thing because somewhere along the way you could have made a different choice. You could have avoided that knife, that room, and maybe even found some kind of common ground between the two of you. Or at least you might have divvied up some turf and left each other alone. That would have been a lot smarter, wouldn't it? Even dogs are smart enough to do that. Now you're staring into the eyes of a fellow human being, and in a couple minutes, one of you is going to be... God, it gets graphic at this point. Um, The survivor is going to remember this terrible night for the rest of his or her life. So we present to you six ways to stop a fight. Before you grab for that knife, you should maybe think about a few things. This moment is frozen in time. You can still make a better choice. 1. Surrender. Is your pride really worth a human life? Drop your weapon, put up your hands, tell them you're ready to cut a deal. You walk, and in exchange, you've given something they need. Sidestep the current agenda. Offer them something unrelated to your dispute, and negotiate to find a solution. Disarm. Knife is on the table. Throw it out the window. Opponent with a gun? Dodge it until he's out of bullets. De-escalate the situation to fists, if possible. You can settle your differences with some uh, some brawling and still work out uh, walk away, plus neither one of you has to face murder charges or a criminal investigation. Rechannel. So you have a conflict. Settle it in a smarter way. Arm wrestle, play cards, have a scavenger hunt, a drinking contest, anything that lets you establish a winner and a loser. Smart gamblers bet nothing they aren't willing to lose. Why put your life on the line? Yeah. Uh, call the cops. Like... If you've got a grievance against somebody, let the police do your dirty work. File a charge, get a restraining order, sue him in civil court if he's, you know, for wrongful harm. You can beat him down without throwing a single punch. Pass the buck. Is there someone more powerful than either one of you who's going to be angry that the two of you are coming to blows? Pretend you're all on the mafia and you can't just kill each other without kicking your dispute upstairs first. Let that symbolic superior make a decision. You both gain clout for not spilling blood. Or run away. To hell with it. Who needs this kind of heat? Blow town. Get a job someplace else. Build a new power base. Is the world really too small for the both of you? It's a big planet out there. And I'll say this. There may be other planets. 
Yeah, exactly. But all of those should go through your mind before a fight. Because your character cares about their life. Mm -hmm. You as a player clearly don't care about your character's life if everything is role initiative. Yeah. Not everybody... I mean, I come back to something I said a couple episodes ago, and that is, there's a reason why berserkers are crazy, and everybody looks at them with a different kind of continence. It's mm -hmm. because they are meant to be murderers who can't think. They just go into a rage. Okay, that is meant to be terrifying. Secondarily to that, there's a reason why mercenaries, when they come into town, people look at them differently. They look at cutthroat pirates differently. Mm -hmm. If your character is no different from them in its mechanics that it says, hey, there's a fight, I'm drawing my blade and cutting these guys down to nothing, then you're the same. Yep. Like, you're, you're setting yourself up. Now, again, I'm going to pause and say, it is okay. That is a total play style. Yes. 100% acceptable. Ooh, woo. What we are talking about is removing combat. And in that sense, all I'm asking you to do is take a reasonable thought about it. Yeah. For just yeah. a second. If, if you are not playing a game where the agreed-upon course of action is kill your way through your problems, and those games are valid. Yes. Now, to settle... To kind of set this in a place, and I'm I'm not going to go far into this. I, I promise I will take some some baby steps into this, but I I wanted to take a look at like where this came from, mm -hmm. and I think there's a whole freaking show here for this. But like literally from tw uh, from a 2013 re uh, report from the American Academy of Pediatrics, they found that violent films have doubled since the 1950s, mm -hmm. and PG-13 related films have have tripled more since 1985. Now, Viol violence in PG-13 films. Yes. So the idea being that there is this this predetermination in our headspace coming from these productions mm -hmm. that we no longer have productions about war where people are being cared for and the war is something that is the setting. Mm -hmm. We now have the war in the front of all of this, this thing that we need to take care of. Um and, and one of the things they talk about is this threat simulation theory, which is that uh, we have these threats that come to us, which we are feeling all the time mm -hmm. now. But, you know, uh, in a blunt way, and to, to not put too much of a, a softness on this, so that people who live in war zones, mm -hmm. who have dealt with it on a day-to-day -day basis, who have come from those time periods, Tolkien being one of those people who dealt with those kind of situations, had to address the things that were going through their nightmares. Because they needed to be able to manage through that, and through that they presented those things on the outward side to be able to handle it. The difficulty is is that sometimes those things can manifest in ways to fight them back mm -hmm. so that you're not doing it only in your own headspace. Mm -hmm. And I definitely see this. We saw this in violent video games that people would find enjoyment by being able to, you know, punch a thing oh, effectively yeah, sure, sure. and get out that level of aggression, not let it build up on aggression base. But there's a lot to be said there within that. But the fact of the matter is, is that within that, within that acceptance, when we come to the table to tell a story, we have to ask ourselves the con kind of confronting question as a storyteller is, are we continuing this? Mm -hmm. You know, are we creating a simulated murder system within the confines of our story? 
yeah. you know, within yeah. the confines of these things. Are we wrong for not allowing the characters to kill monsters or villains? You know, are we removing their agency by removing those abilities mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. those skill sets? You know, are we setting a precedence between things that are sentient and non-sentient? You know, of yeah, what's yeah. okay and what's not okay. How much distance can we put ourselves away from what we really consider violence and combat? Right, you know? right. Um, and I, 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 this leads into this concept that we have to say, how, how, how far is it okay and mm-hmm. how far is it not okay within the story? And I think that's where you see those scales of zero to ten. But I think it's a much larger question to put right at the front. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, mean, I think it's. I mean, the, the bigger question for me is uh, largely about power fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, you you dipped into talking a little bit about uh, this uh, uh, threat simulation theory, mm-hmm. um, and I think that plays very heavily into uh, kind of into power fantasy. I mean, when you mm-hmm. say power fantasy, it, it kind of comes. It, it conjures an image of just like. Someone who's who's weak and just wants to, you know, feel like the the, the, the big chat on campus, you mm-hmm. know, and just wants to dominate a video game or something like that so that they can feel good about themselves. And it doesn't have a very good connotation, but, like, I, it's, it's perfectly fine. Like, we all indulge in power fantasies. We all like to envision ourselves as, you know, it's one of the reasons why, why like, Marvel has done so well with, with their superhero movies, you know, mm-hmm. because we're vicariously indulging in that power fantasy of being a superhero, of being the person who can save the day and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And if we can't be that, we at least want to watch a story about someone who can. Correct. You know? And and that's fine. That's a very healthy thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you can kind of combine that with, like, threat simulation theory... Um, where we, we've got these imagined scenarios that we're trying to prepare ourselves for, mm-hmm. um, be they realistic or not, mm-hmm. um, you know, you couple that with a power fantasy and suddenly now you're, you're empowering yourself to become strong enough to work through threats that your, you know, your psyche feels you need to address. Mm-hmm. And that's a very healthy thing. That's very therapeutic to do, mm-hmm. you know, um, so I mean that that's the first thought that crosses my mind. Um, the second thought is uh, back. You remember back in, God, this would have been like ninety five or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, Mortal Kombat one yes. was making a splash. Yep, and whatever the current uh, U.S. Administ- you know uh, uh, um, governmental administration was at the time was asking a lot of very pointed questions about how do we need to censor video games? Is violence in video games too gratuitous? Mm-hmm. Is this turning our children into potential murderers mm-hmm. with murder simulations? Mm-hmm. And all of us who've actually played Mortal Kombat 1 are like, what, you think I'm just going to uppercut someone's head off their body and then breathe flame on them? Like I'm wh- going to shoot something from my wrist that's going to tear out their heart and I'm going to hold it in front of them as they die? Yeah, right, exactly. Like, who who on the playground gets the dubious honor of saying finish him before that happens, you right, know? Right, Um But uh, the, one of the local papers was doing a, an interview spot about it, and... Um, Somebody at my school was like, oh, Sarah, Sarah video games all the time, you know, you <laughs> ask her what she thinks. So um, I actually got interviewed by this by this paper and they were like, so what do you think about them? And I'm like, I love them. And they're like, you don't think they make you violent? And I'm like, no, I don't think they make me violent at all. I said, if anything, they make me less violent because I get to enact my, you know, I get to basically get my aggression out, you know. Mm-hmm. 
if if I do have pent-up emotions that I'm feeling some kind of way about something and I do want to hurt something about it, I can load up a video game, mm-hmm. you know, uh, use a magic sword to kill a bunch of goblins or something like that, and it's all pixels and numbers. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I shut that video game off, no one has ever been harmed, and I feel better. Mm-hmm. And I think our TTRPGs do the exact same thing for us. You know? Yeah, it's a therapy. It's a controlled group therapy in that sense. Exactly. It felt good when I brought a whole damn ice age to Lord Baldrin. You, you know, did. for for my character, you did froze him, froze him solid, and you know, basically, you know, you, you used some sort of quip, some sort of line, basically, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to make myself feel even better about it as I dunked on his corpse. You did, and then. Walked away from it and basically winked at the guards on the way out as mm-hmm. I created a portal and just left. Yep. And it felt even better when you were giving the epilogue to your uh, to your uh, to your game and you said, you know, fifty years down the line, there's mm-hmm. a war between these two these two kingdoms or something like that out there, and that war comes to your doorstep and both armies just avoid your that, village like like a black hole because in... they just know there's just a hole in the middle of their battle plans mm-hmm. <laughs> where where they don't go yep 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 and that felt good that was a power fantasy for me yep. you know and that felt really good yeah and 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 there again there's nothing wrong with that but i think setting that stage is very important but i also think that and, and we've said it a few times but mm-hmm. i want to reiterate that if you're going to do this in your game and it's a consideration at all you want to make sure that you're very clear right at the beginning. This isn't, you know, I, I don't think this is something that can wait uh, even a couple episodes or a couple of sessions in. It is something that can be managed and adjusted. I'm not saying that, like, once you started a game, if, you know, your your murder hobos are like, eh, this isn't going so well, that you can't just dial things differently, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your players are like, oh, I didn't mean to kill that guy. I only meant to bludgeon him. Ugh, okay, you know. May, can can you can you narrate that differently because that's not what I was trying to do that's fine like lean into that let your player let you know figure that out between you but I think at the beginning of the game knowing whether or not you a want combat and b if you want that combat to be violent or not yeah is yeah. very very important um I, I'm gonna pick on uh, Nova Praxis a little bit the game that we just played because we had a very violent moment in it yeah sure absolutely um and like right at the beginning while making characters, both the system and the storyteller were like, by the way, this is a utopian-esque society. Nobody needs guns or weapons. They exist, but, like, nobody's using them, you know, mm-hmm. except security and the underworld people, right? Mm-hmm. You have to have certain rules and regulations to be able to even carry one of these things around because nobody just walks around with a pistol in their pocket. Yeah, sure. Okay? Game mechanically, you need an edge to be you able to... You need to buy into this. Yeah, yeah. You, need to, you need to build your character in a way that you can buy the license to have restricted stuff. And what's interesting about that, and we, we, we talked back and forth mm-hmm. about this particular uh, the aspect of it, was at no point was a storyteller saying there is not going to be combat in this game uh-huh. or that there is not going to be violence in this game. What he was saying was is that the majority of the story that is going on around the setting that sits within that makes the life work is not going to have this. Yes, this is not a war-torn hellscape. So it's not a requirement Yes, at, in any way. Um, but it was funny that literally half of our group literally prepared for war mm-hmm. right off the bat. <laughs> Like, right off the bat. One of us bought a mech. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that they didn't. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was interesting that, like, in my headspace, I went, okay, 
how could that have gone differently if the mind frame was weapons are exceptionally rare, mm-hmm. exceptionally rare to the point that I'm removing this edge. So if you have a weapon, it's illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you can't get this edge. And setting that precedence to basically say that, I think the step forward to that would have said was, I am not looking for this to be a combat game, and any combat should feel very dangerous. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, we've talked about uh, Savage World as a whole being a very dangerous thing. Oh, yeah. You can make it heroic. You can make it not deadly, but it's very Swingy is the word that gets used a lot for its combat system Mm -hmm. because one exploding die can cause the end of a very heroic character, you know. Yeah. Yeah, like a... Like a certain sword coming out of someone's sheath and immediately he, lopping somebody in half. Well, the, the the problem was he didn't even roll particularly high on the damage. It was just that he was an extra, and this is a person who was a lifelong D&D player. First experience with Savage Worlds. I'm with you. He was expecting a roll for hit points. He was not expecting one wound he's off the table. Right. And so there, it was actually an odd, it was funny because it was an out-of-character moment of him going, ooh, I'm sorry, I did not realize he was made of cardboard. And like, yeah, he's an extra. Of course yeah. he's made of cardboard. But but that's the thing, mm-hmm. is, is that a lot of times when we step into games and we see these kinds of moments happen, as a storyteller, we rec- recognize that and we go, okay, is that a telling moment? Do I now need to dial this in a different direction? Well, sure, sure, absolutely. And it's 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 a calibration moment for the whole group, not mm-hmm. just the storyteller, but the players themselves. Um, but... There's a lot of good that can come out of something like that, especially if you do not, if you want to downplay the violence in your, in your game, Mm -hmm. you know, because first off, um, that, that was, that very much served as a moment of like, don't draw a weapon unless you're going to kill something. Yeah. Because things will die, Mm -hmm. you know, and now we've got this man's death on our hands. Now, mind you, they turned out to be like self-sacrificial fanatic terrorists who tried to blow themselves up literally next combat turn. But that's aside the fact. Right, right. We're talking about within that moment with that character. The the thing happened. But the other the other big question, though, and this is this is kind of where, like, every game is going to kind of be unique. Oh, 100 percent. With 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 how they treat violence and death and stuff like that. Um is that if you do have violence, like, I mean, we read that whole thing out of Unknown Armies, mm-hmm. right? About how it's so horrible to take another life. But in Nova Praxis, um, you know, it's very much like the uh, like the show Altered Carbon, uh, strongly inspired, in fact, by Altered Carbon from Netflix, mm-hmm. um, where the human soul is digitized. Mm-hmm. Most, I want to say most people, it's like 30% of people, um, have their brains digitized and exists in a little chip called a mindset that sits at the base of their skull. Mm-hmm. So if your body dies, look, whatever, just grab their mindset. We'll just re-sleeve them into a different body, yep. you know, like no, no huge deal. So it's in this situation, because of the unique position of violence in this particular story, mm-hmm. it allows us to examine that idea of the, um, the permanence of the soul, but the impermanence of the body. Yes. Does killing actually matter when you're functionally immortal? Right. And I, but but I in that sense, I also think it creates a certain tempo. Mm-hmm. And you can set it. You can yeah. set the tempo. I mean, like Men in Black set that tempo very differently. Oh yes. Like literally right off the bat, shoots a guy in the head. It explodes. You know, and he's just like, do you have any idea how much that stings? Yeah. You I just... I didn't know it would grow back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was, it sets a tempo that you know exactly how violence is okay mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. In, in this aspect. It's still violence, but it's, it's, it's not. Yeah. You know. And then you've got something like uh, how I played Mass Effect. 
Yeah. You know, I'd always pick the Paragon path. I'd always pick the, the, the good guy path, except when I was dealing with the Krogans. You always punch Krogans. Mm-hmm. It's the only language they understand, mm-hmm. you know? And sure, okay, I racked up some Renegade points doing that, but uh, but again, like, I got stuff done. Yeah. You give, you give them a good right cross, and they go, oh, Shepard knows what she's doing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe we should listen to her. Yeah. There. See? <laughs> punch Krogans. Yep, yep, nope. <laughs> No, no, it's it's that show of force, you know, exactly to a forceful people. So I think I think this leads us to the concept that we're stepping away from the the idea of combat being important and more about focusing on what does violence mean? Mm -hmm. What does the violence mean within the within the system? And it's if you go ahead and make it, I don't know, meaningless it will feel meaningless. Sure. There's there's no value to it within the system. It's just a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Violence is normal, you know. But if if the combat routine is I guess a loop, mm-hmm. you know, where it's kill, deal with life threatening situation, return to normal. It's really returned to the normal is returning back to killing. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. And you you end up um, losing any sort of significance of the threat of violence. Then you know, yeah, you can't have a villain that goes, "I'm going to kill every one of you," because all that says to your characters is like, "Okay, so we're going to roll into combat." Right. It's it's the uh, um, the James Bond scenes in my mind. Yeah, is that like in Bond, you know, there's always going to be parts where he's shooting at the bad guys, and he's typically putting one bullet in each guy, mm-hmm. which puts them out of action. Yeah, right. That's how that works. There's thirty thugs. He's got nine rounds plus one in the chamber. He's gonna have to take care of each one of those differently. Some of them he's gonna punch, but the ones that he shoots are literally just gonna duck out of the way and be done. Yeah, he's got a Walther PPK, and he's gonna take on people with a horde of people with machine guns. You but, know, but when he's with the Femme Fatale, it. who's turned on the bad guy, and the bad guy who's monologuing with his one pistol, uh-huh. while James is being held, shoots the Femme Fatale. Suddenly, the music changes. And yeah. he doesn't go and beat the crap out of the bad guy. He runs to her and holds the wound and, like, stares and glares at him because something will eventually happen. And the bad guy doesn't take a second shot at Bond. He's already wounded far more than that bullet ever will do. Yeah. You know? And that's that's when violence has meaning. Right. That's where it can put itself into perspective. I would love scenes where you step into the bad guy's chamber and someone gets injured and half the team turns and runs to that person while three set up a defensive line like you murderer. And the the, the bad guy's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, I sent armies out like uh, this is a problem. You know, no, he should be like, ha ha. Now I've truly hurt you. You know, what are you going to do about it? Right. Like, that's the scene you want, you know? I will take something you care about. Him. Bam! Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I've already launched the attack on the town five minutes ago. Right. And you're like, do I fight this guy or do I go and run to the town? You know? Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, used used sparingly, suddenly your violence has has meaning to it, you know? Yeah. Um, And then you've got... Like, especially if you like if you can if you can really get your players into a loop of like, you know, solving things diplomatically or solving things with avoidance, you know, Mm -hmm. either running away away or stealthing around or whatever, um, you know, suddenly then when you do have a combat encounter that like, no, we're going to fight instead of it just being like, okay cool, roll initiative, you're going to get like an wait, wait, seriously, we're fighting like, oh, oh, this just got 
this just got serious, you know? <laughs> yeah. My brain's producing new chemicals, and I'm concerned, you know? Yeah, I mean, and, and of course, this greatly helps, like, if the game system you're using has more lethal rules for combat, right? So, like, g- a game like D&D, um, you, you can play it like this. Like, I know we, we rag on D&D a lot for being a combat simulator, but right. but you like you can play games of D and D that are that are very talky and very you know you avoid combat a lot of the time. Right. Um. But once you get into combat, though, um, you know you fall back on those combat rules, and in, especially in something like D and D, you you are kind of like super powered god killers mm-hmm. at most higher levels. Um. And they, it also allows for a host of like cheap and easy recovery options as mm-hmm. well. You've yeah. got resurrections, you've got healing spells, yeah. um, and stuff like that. It, it makes it difficult in those contexts to frighten your players with combat. Mm-hmm. You know, but something like Savage Worlds, if you're not playing with something like the Heroes Never Die special rule, where like I don't care how if you're a legendary rank or if you're just a novice, you're gonna have four wounds. Yeah. Period. Yeah. That's it. Uh, one of the ones that I just saw that was uh, was talking about making D and D feel violent mm-hmm. is you only you can only go to zero. The uh, your uh, uh, based on your Constitution modifier. Okay. So if your Constitution fire modifier is one plus one, you can go twice to zero. When you reach zero for the second time, doesn't matter what's going on. Like if you go to zero. Your character is done. You need a resurrection. Oh, wow. Okay. And even then, you're weakened, and you take a negative to your constitution modifier mm. immediately. And again, you can only go to negative four. That's an interesting way of doing things. And yeah. I was like, and it, it doesn't affect anything else. Yeah. But it's considered wounds on your soul. Yeah, sure. sure. You know, basically, you're just, you're tired. You're haggard. You mm-hmm. just can't do this anymore, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, that sets a very different mind frame of like, oh, yeah. You can heal someone from zero. They still take a wound. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's what a lot of the, the, the OSR mindset is, too. Like, OSR gets a, gets a reputation for being very violent and very combat-heavy. Um, and it is very, you know, tactical um, and and violent in, mm-hmm. in a way. But that's because everybody's so fragile. Yeah. Um, and so you're actually strongly incentive because of the fragility of your character's to really think about what you're doing and pick mm-hmm. your battles. Yeah. So take off when you can. But I think the other thing is, is the is setting that tone of violence is something that villainy should hold. Yeah, absolutely. That you're absolutely. you're removing that gray area. We always talk about this with like the 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 anti heroes who cross the line every once yeah. in a while. Yeah. You know, your Raylan Gibbs who who who's going back and forth. You know, your villains who kind of dip into good land but not really ever make it there. Yeah, they're they, the they ones. show glimmers of decency before going right back to being villains. Yeah. Right, but like they the heroes are the calm ones, the pacifists, the ones looking for for taking care of it. The villains are the violent ones who yeah. don't consider violence a problem. It is merely a tool within their tool set. Yeah. One that is even to them grotesque at times. Mm-hmm. You know, or even they consider too much. There's a reason why John Wick was called Baba, you know, was Baba Yaga. Mm-hmm. Like even the bad guys, he, he was a tool in the toolbox that they didn't want it to pull out. Yeah. But when they pulled it out, they knew shit was getting done, mm-hmm. you know, but then they just put it away immediately. Yep. You know, 
And because there's a level of violence that's even way too much for hardened mobsters. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I loved seeing in comics and stuff like that when a villain would go and beat up his own henchmen mm-hmm. because they went too far. Mm-hmm. Like, they went crazy. Like, the Joker used to make the jokes about tax evasion. Like, he wouldn't even go that far, you know? <laughs> like, I'm not crazy. I don't want the IRS coming after me, you know? <laughs> But, like, that's the kind of lines that you need to draw with violence is, is that when violent things happen, people look at you different. When the berserker does violence, there's a reason that people look at them differently. When a mercenary is, is sent to an area to, to wipe it out, you know, mm-hmm. that is – you look at those people differently. Heroes are meant to be looked at pleasantly, you know, yeah, and chivalrously, yeah. even if they're not. But when they start crossing that line for power mm-hmm. and, and threat – yeah, that that should be scary. Yeah, and then that that ultimately is the difference between the villain and the hero. You know, is who who is willing to use violence to distinguish themselves, who is willing to cross that line and do the bad things to seize the power. Mm-hmm. And if that's your heroes, I don't know, maybe you need to have a conversation with them if it's that style of game, you know? Right, right. So, when you remove combat. So now we're we're we're, we're talking about games where combat has been removed Mm -hmm. i think fear steps in whether it's the player naturally doing it or whether it's like almost hardened into the game yeah exactly and you know i i i think like violence should be something that we are afraid of yeah you know um and I, i i feel like you know i've talked a bit about like my experience with vampire the masquerade back Mm -hmm, in the day mm -hmm. you know where they positioned it to like, oh, this is going to be a political game, mm-hmm. but here are some robust, you know, uh, uh, combat rules followed up by a bunch of vampiric superpowers that turn you into a car throwing, <laughs> light speed moving monster, um, yeah. who can s- change reality and make people's minds explode. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is a political game, and we're like, sure, it is. That's exactly how I'm going to use my vampire who can throw cars. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, uh, you know, if you do, like, start suddenly tilting that, that balance, you know, violence then suddenly mm-hmm. becomes scary again when you can't just heal it up with a long rest or heal it up with the expenditure of a couple points of blood or, you know, whatever you're doing in your game system. Um Call of Cthulhu, I thought, was a great example of this. Now, obviously, yeah. Call of Cthulhu positions itself as a, as a, as a horror game. Um, but, uh, right there, just even in the rule system, even if you play it more investigatively as a, as a mystery game, right? um, your combat is still positioned in a place where it is very lethal. Mm-hmm. Um, your hit points do not go up as your character gains, you know, yeah. levels or abilities or whatever, you know, so, uh, you're going to be just as fragile, a, 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 a starting investigator is going to be just as fragile as a seasoned investigator is going to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, your enemies are horrific eldritch beings a yeah. lot of the times, uh, and you are just a squishy human. They don't have hit points. Who yeah. even knows what they're vulnerable to? Yeah. You know, or if they are vulnerable at all. Um, and even if you live, okay, mm-hmm. and we talked a little bit about this in the last episode of, like, you know, uh, wild animals not getting into fights because even a wound will essentially put that thing on something's menu. Right. You know, if it if it has to recover. Now, human beings, we have things like hospitals and whatnot, but in Call of Cthulhu, like we don't have healing spells, really. Well, we, I mean, we might, but God knows what they're going to do to you. Um, 
And so you could be, your character could be out for a month Mm -hmm. or two as they recover from their broken leg and severe lacerations they got when scrapping with a Bayaki. Sure, you won the fight, but at what cost? Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're better off running. Yeah. I think kids on bikes is the other extreme in the sense that you don't have the ability to. You're Mm -hmm. a kid on a bike in a small town. Sure. Like, the cops there can barely handle a monster. He probably wouldn't. Like, they'd call in for support. Yeah. You know? And so the idea is, like, you don't have a tome or a wand or a Tommy gun or (laughs) or even usually a sharp stick. The forbidden spells of Yogg-Sothoth, the lurker in the threshold, he who is the gate and the key. Yeah, you got none of that going on. Yeah, none of that. So, like, a monster shows up, you do what everyone else does, you run, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. And, like... In in that mind frame, I think of, like, Goonies. Yeah. The kids ran from people. Yeah. Not even monsters. People. Mm-hmm. Just the it. the were terrifying. Yeah. I, what interested me in that was, I, I dug that even further in my head. I said, so what sets Stand By Me apart? Mm-hmm. And the very final scene, kind of, not not the, 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 the wrap-up, but the fact that one of the player, one of the, the main characters knows that they're in a dangerous situation where one of them could possibly die, and he pulls out a gun, and his friends are terrified. Oh, yeah. And, like, that sets that moment in such a serious way. Mm-hmm. And yet, as it continues, as that scene continued, like, everybody was like, whoa, that just happened, and kind of still put him in a hero's light. Mm-hmm. And I think that set the stage for that big hero kind of feel in yeah. a direction. Yeah. When really it should have been like, I could have felt in the wrap up of that of those other friends don't really talk to me anymore. Mm-hmm. They're worried that I'm still a gun toting, you know, that there's still a gun in my bag whenever I need it. Sure, sure. Because, and I would have, if it was me in writing at the very end of that, I would have said, because it is still there. Because I might. Yeah. And that should scare you. The yeah. end of that story should scare you. Mm-hmm. And it rightly like feels that way. Mm-hmm. Violence should be scary. The act of coming out as shouldn't feel heroic. Yeah. I mean, I have talked to enough people who've been in violent situations, mm-hmm. who've been in combative situations, and there are few of them who feel heroic about those moments. Yeah, sure. And they know the difference between when they're in those situations between the people who do feel heroic about it and those who don't. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of where I I, I want to leave this thought for my side. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of agree. I kind of agree. So, um, but that's not where this show ends. It's not where the show ends. My God, we have so many questions. I'm glad I had poured just a little extra tea because I'm going to need it. <laughs> Let's, I love you guys so let's much. Let's roll right into it, man. Uh, uh, so we've got some some that are on topic and some that aren't. Let's start um, with the topics. All right. So we've got, well, I don't know which ones are, which ones are, and which ones I, aren't. I stacked them. I stacked them. Oh, okay. Cool. All right. So uh, Nevim asks, uh, story-wise, should combat be the last re- uh, uh, last resort option? Well, I think that's based on your table and your feeling. Yeah, what, really, your, what direction your story really depends on the table. I mean, if you're playing a you know a first response squad with you know that is that is designed to be SEAL Team Six, no, I'm pretty sure you're there to do violence. On the other hand, if you're the first responder squad, yeah, if you're playing hammerheads, no, no, you definitely absolutely not. should be a last resort option. You're there yeah. to save people. Yeah, you know? I, but I think that is definitely based on the tone of your story. 
you should address that with your players and see what they need. Absolutely. That is a discussion you have at the table, and that's a discussion you keep having at the table. Yeah. Is this the is this the mystery machine, you know, wielding kids who drive around and run from the monsters? Or is this the one that literally takes a two-by-four and slams them in the head and then runs away? Right. Are we playing Scooby-Doo or are we playing Supernatural? Right. So, um, how to tweak a game system to reduce the combat mechanism. So, here's my thought. I don't think you should try to reduce the combat mechanism. If your thought is is that you want to make a mechanical functionality change that adds a level of concern to combat, mm-hmm. you need to look at something outside of the existing system that creates, like like in the case of reducing co- the, the constitution thing. It's a time. It's a clock. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of games do reputation or humanity mm-hmm. or like... You know, when you murder, X happens, so that it is an inevitable act that cannot be avoided. Right, right, right. So, like, oh, you go to, you know, and the thing is, is that you also can't make it something can be stepped around. Meaning, like, oh, I didn't murder that guy. He died by this other thing, so that really wasn't murder. No, 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 no. He died of natural causes. Right. You shot him 23 times. Yeah, and naturally, he died from it. Right. <laughs> so, you need to put the onus on the players of if they take a, if they're the ones being murdered, that the recovery around that is substantial. Yeah, yeah. I would say that that's a really entirely system agnostic answer to that is ramp up consequences for combat. Yep. Um, really display to your characters that uh, lethality and the, the infinality are the things that define combat. And that could mean them. That could mean people they love. Mm-hmm. And there could be consequences even for killing their enemies. Yeah. Um and collateral just, damage. Just yeah. lean just lean onto that uh uh in, into that that consequence mm-hmm. and you'll see your characters go is that really the tool we want to reach for? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What are the good elements brought by combat? Uh, I think I touched on this a little bit earlier. I mean like for for me it's 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 mostly about power fantasy. Mhm. Nothing wrong with it. Slapping your enemies around and having the power to do it, and that feels good. It feels good to tell stories where you have that power. And and players want that. Sure. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Sure. There's nothing wrong with that. If that if if you are playing a beer and pretzels game, what is the there's a game where you're playing like little blobby dudes and you're kind of flailing your body around, but you're you're trying to knock them off the map. Oh, uh, I know the game you're talking it's about. Not Free Guy or, for, or something like that. Fall, Fall Guy? Fall Guys? Fall Guys. Yeah, yeah. Like, that game. That is literally the least violent, violent game that I've ever seen. Right? It is yeah. clearly violent. Yeah. But it is the least violent looking one. But if you're playing Fall Guys, the tabletop game, go ahead. Have fun. <laughs> it always reminds you of MXC. Yeah. Most Very much so. Like challenge. things are happening yeah. around you, and you're basically just shoving people into whatever that is, mm-hmm. you know, or trying to avoid it yourself. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Get it on. <laughs> go, go, enjoy yourself. That is fine. There's R- nothing wrong with that. Right, you are, Ken. Um, uh, Clement A. Uh, how to promote creativity in combat? In other words, how to avoid having the same turns? I fire at the enemy. The enemy fires back. I fire again. They fire again. Uh, note, I really love Troubleshooter's approach with the duel, a.k.a. you're not limited to the situation, pilot for pursuit skills, and you get a non-accumulative mollus to your role. If you're using a skill already used previously, it works extremely well with my players and incentivizes an unexpected approach. I, I did look into Troubleshooter's a little bit. It, okay. it felt a lot like Mouse Guard's mechanics for, like, if you use this skill for the first time, 
you get like a bonus. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and I I think that's a cool mechanic. I don't necessarily feel like you need to add that as a mechanic to thing. What I would say to Clement is this: treat combat more like you treat narrative roles. Mm-hmm. Let the player narrate it. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. I don't care what the mechanics in the book says. If the book says I'm a fighter and I'm doing a maneuver, great. Roll for your maneuver. Great. Mm-hmm. What happens? Because hit points are not what they mean. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, you can tell the player that their half of their hit points are gone. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Let them know the monster just took a major hit. And then let them narrate it mm-hmm. however they want to narrate it. If, they, if they're like, you know, I, I really don't have anything creative to say, come up with something on the fly. Sure. There's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, I think narration and combat can be really cool. I love it in 7C because you can you have a lot of different combat options. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can make spells do anything. It's just an effect that's going off. It can be narrated any number of ways. We did it for you with Ravana. Mm-hmm. We made that combat feel vicious yeah. and challenging. Even though it was just D and D, like whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so I say narrate. Put on the cinematographer glasses. Look at it with a different thing. But let your player, you know, have your players lean into that. It doesn't change the role. It doesn't change the effects. It just makes it sound cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for for me too, uh, I think rule of cool is kind of where a lot of this plays in. Um, it's, it's a lot of saying yes to your players Mm -hmm. to foster an environment at your table where your players are willing to explore out of the box options. Mm -hmm. If that's what you want from them, you have to say yes when they try one. Yeah. And it has to work. Otherwise you will teach them that the lesson to be learned is if I try something out of the box, it's going to, it's not going to work. I'm going to waste my turn. And therefore, my safest option is just to fire at them, and then they fire at me, and then I right. fire at them. To your point about troubleshooters, about using other skills beside combat skills, like I don't have to use pilot. Mm-hmm. I could use engineering to handle a situation. Sure. There is nothing, nothing in the book in D&D that says that you can't make an athletics roll against someone. Mm-hmm. It's it's usually a, a if you want to get into the nitty gritty of it it's usually a uh, a roll off at that point against but like if you if the player knows they're like hey I want to punch this thing in the face with my sword hand because I'm not going to slash it okay sure. do it how, how do you want to do it athletics strength mm-hmm. you tell me oh I can do it a different way why not why not yeah sure. It's all, it's all there. This mm-hmm. is all this is is just a system for you telling me how you want to handle this. Yeah, yeah. So lean into that. Uh, and I mean, it really helps too if you've got a if you do have a system that allows you that wiggle room. Um, it's one of the things that actually really attracts me to Savage Worlds is that even in their combat, uh, your non-combat characters have those opportunities to lend things like taunts and uh, tests. You know, mm-hmm. you can you can have the silver-tongued person who doesn't even have a fighting skill on their you know on their character sheet. Uh, use their D10 and persuasion to distract the enemy. Yeah. And then suddenly they're minus two to do whatever they were doing. Yep. You know, um, you you had a really great one last time we got in combat. We were in a warehouse. Mm-hmm. And your first turn of combat, you were like, yeah, I'm going to charge 
almost at the bad guy, but you see that big rack of uh, of, of um, stuff in the warehouse next to him? I'm going to hit that really hard with my shield and knock stuff over on him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, cool. We're going to call this a test using, what do you figure, athletics? Yeah, I think athletics. Mm-hmm. All right, awesome. Roll it, you yeah. know? And in D&D, I could see someone who are like, I'm going to assist the fighter. How? Uh, I'm going to make an athletics roll and and hunker down on the other side of the enemy so when he bashes them, they roll over me. They mm-hmm. trip. You know, I'm going to do a trip check. Sure. Do it. Like, and if they're like, well, there's special rules for that. Whatever. You're the storyteller. You're the storyteller. Just storyteller fiat it. Yeah. Just, just do whatever you need to so that if they start thinking out of the box and you want to encourage that, you make it happen. Yep. And everybody has a cool... It's better... It is better in the long run to have your players high-fiving each other and cheering about the cool thing that just happened mm-hmm. at your table that will create lifelong memories than to have followed the rules as written in the book. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. All, All right. right. Next one. Uh, Jay Janex asks, uh, some gaming groups, mine included, can only meet up for two or three hours a session. Does this mean that combat in games like D&D can take... Uh, this... Sorry. This does mean that combat in games like D&D can take up an entire session. Often does. So, one, if the GM is, uh, has only combat planned, is it all right if they railroad their players into combat? In other words, force a hard move. And two, how to come up with alternatives to combat without having to completely improvise a scene or cutting the session short? So, to answer the first question, if GM has only combat planned, is it all right to railroad the players into combat? In other words, force a hard move. Only if you've telegraphed it beforehand. If the players know that their next steps lead them to combat. Yeah. Because yeah. at that point, I mean, if they've stepped into the room, what you're basically saying is, you know, and again, if they're going into the villain's chamber mm-hmm. and you say, I have a hard move coming on, it's, it's going to show up. Yeah, it's gonna you know that's gonna end this. Are you guys ready to go in? It's that thing in video games where they're like, are you ready to fight the boss? <laughs> oh, there is twelve health packs, a bunch of ammo, and four save points. You know, I'm gonna go back and do that side <laughs> quest. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go do that. I'll be right back. I'll My right favorite back. thing in Silent Hill Three, yeah. Silent Hill Two, is the room. The room right before the final boss that has nine save points in a three by three array. <laughs> and you're like, what are you trying to tell me, game? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> But that's the whole thing is is that you, you have to telegraph those things so that your players are prepared for them and that you can prepare for your players and mm-hmm. make sure that, that that whole situation is going to roll out. Um, that That's my thought on that first question. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, it, it is absolutely okay to tell your players what you are doing is a hard move. Mm-hmm. I've done it before. Highly recommend Everybody kind of went, oh, this could be good. Yeah. And watched the scene happen like it was a cut scene. And mm-hmm. then you hand control back to the players and you say, okay, that just happened. What do you want to do about it? Um, combat can be one of those things. Now. Is it all right to railroad them into combat if they have a clever plan to circumvent it? I would look real. I, look, I'm not going to tell you what is and in, in, in isn't all right at your table. Right. Okay. You are the storyteller. You wear the pants at that table. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, that is your call, what you think is quote unquote all right. What I will say is that a. a Good practice for storytellers is that if a player comes up with a clever solution, you should say yes, because it rewards player ingenuity. You want them 
thinking about your situation and engaging with that situation, even if that engagement is something you didn't come up with. Likewise, I would say, and this is just an addition before you Mm -hmm. continue, is that the more players at the table who are excited or encouraging of that Mm -hmm. should add weight into your thought pattern of like, let me accept this. Yeah, if someone says, hey, why don't we just do this, and three of your other players go, yeah, guess what's going to happen? That's, I'm that's, sorry that's now you the have, thing. I'm sorry you have to improv this. Likewise, but you gotta improv if this. one of your players are like, you guys want to do that, I really want to go kill this guy. There is absolutely nothing that says you couldn't do something later that's a hard move that opens that scene. Mm-hmm. That, that sets it up, says, like, you want to fight this guy? I'm going to give you that as an option. But it changes the entire combat setup, right? Yeah. Maybe instead of it being a giant arena combat with, like, you know, a, a boss layer effects and things because there's five players there, it's the two of them on a hillside with the wind blowing and the moon shining on them yeah, sure. in the middle of the night. Like, Absolutely. That's cool. Do it. Uh-huh. Do it that way. That's awesome. And, and look, you don't necessarily have to think all this stuff 100% on your feet. Like, it is okay. If you need a minute, like, you don't necessarily have to cancel the game grab session early. <laughs> like, yeah, everybody take a bathroom break. Yeah. I'm going to grab a couple carrot sticks off the veggie tray over yeah, here. Yeah. And I'm going to think about what you just told me you're going to do. Yep. And your players will be like, ooh, we got them. And, that, and then you're going to roll with it because you got a moment to recuperate. Yep. Think about the implications. And then you're all going to come back prepared. And you won't have to pee anymore. Yep. So that's all true. That's, that's true. all good. So the second one, how to come up with alternatives to combat without having a completely improvised scene or cutting the sessions short. First off, you have the full right to cut a session short. Yes. Without a question, feel free that you can do that. Two improvise scenes and this is this is kind of leans into what what uh what sarah was talking about in the sense that if your players come up with a cool idea let them continue to ruminate the fact that they are coming up with this plan and they're figuring out how they're going to do it is part of the session you're not cutting anything short yes yes you're cutting your personal content short Mm-hmm. But that is not stopping that play. You're right. Let them plan. They will plan for an hour and a half. On the I other guarantee hand, it. On the other hand, they'll if, do it. If they start into that and they're like, "Okay, we're gonna do all these things," you could just be like, "Okay, let's do some. Let's do some montage." Mm-hmm. So let's montage. Each of you have to, you know, get through the thing that you want to do. Who's going to do each one of these? And there's your improvisational scenes. It's not really improv scenes. It's you making one role with that player and then letting them narrate how they they're, how they prepped for whatever this thing is. Sure, and, and therein, you've got two solutions that are happening at the same time. Yep. One, you've got your players handing your narration to you mm-hmm. because you've given them the spotlight and say, why don't you tell me how that role happens? Yeah. And then two... Uh, you're just buying yourself more time to think about how the outcome of this is, so it becomes a lot less improv and a lot less plan you made, and a lot more plan you made five minutes ago. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And so you may not even need to take a bathroom break, but on top of that, you can go and take a ba- take a bathroom break, let it all ruminate, make sure you got your ducks in a row. You come back and bam, you've got a scene you just planned five minutes ago, and you can roll with it. Yep. Um. But I mean, if you're looking to completely not have to improv anything. Mm-mm. Sorry, I, I, I don't want to be harsh, but I kind of dead up have to ask you like what you're doing behind the screen. Yeah, like that's half of what storytelling is yeah. is 
is a lot of improvisation of taking the feedback from your players and giving them what the world does back to them. So I will I will ask this uh, JGenX. Uh, if this question came from a concerning point that mm-hmm. you're having a hard time with doing improv, uh, or or you're concerned about your improv, I would say bring it up in the Discord. We have a lot of people who have done this for decades. Oh yeah, sure. And and have had to come yeah, up with improv in different ways. Come bring it up. We'll talk about it. We'll figure out what's what's that what the what the point of hang up is. Whether it's your 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 need for perfection, or whether good enough is not good enough, or maybe it's your player base. Mm-hmm. Please bring it up. Yeah, I would love to talk about it. I would love to be able to help you with it. Yep. yep. On the other hand, if you brought this up because you feel other people may have the stress, great job, good job. <laughs> uh, the, the, the only other thing too that I would that I would I would add to kind of this set of questions because you, you kind of talked about like the only thing you've got prepped is combat, mm-hmm. and then you're worried about showing up with that combat, and then your players come up with a plan to circumvent it, and mm-hmm. that ruins the session. Um. I would say the only time you should be coming uh, you should be coming to a session where quote unquote the only thing you have prepped is combat is when that combat is already inevitable and there is no steering the course away from it. Otherwise, you need to be ready for ever, for anything. Right. Um so it, you know, I would say end your previous session with like and that's when the villain says, you've stepped into my trap, and all four of his minions draw their swords. And cut. That's the telegraph. Right. They're, you're not going to stop that combat. I've already told you they are positioning themselves for violence. Violence is going to happen. We're going to enter the next scene Violent. right there. Yeah. As yeah. the first blows are being exchanged, yeah. you know. Yeah, the music has um, changed. Don't, don't do it where it's like, oh, and as you walk into the next room... You see so-and-so. You see so-and-so, because someone might just start that off with, ah, oh, yes, uh, actually, here's the thing you were looking for the whole time. I'll just give it to you, and you don't need to kill us. Or even between games, they may be like, oh, let's go and kill this guy, and you're like, okay, I'm going to prep all this stuff, and then two days before the session, they're like, you know, maybe this is a bad idea. I really had to think about this in the shower, mm-hmm. and uh, we're not going to go that route. Oh, I would throw a fit if my players did that. Dude, it happens, and it, you know it. It it does. It does. It does. Because we're not our characters. That's <laughs> so. true. All right. Overwatch. There are plenty of stories that can exist without combat. Murder mysteries, exploration, political intrigue. But what about stories where conflict and action are part of the universe? Adventure stories, space operas, sword and sandals. Can you gamify those settings without combat? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Blades in the Dark shows that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, uh, you, we, we talked about Hammerheads earlier. You know, yeah. that, that's a, that's a big adventure story right there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um... A lot, a lot of the stuff does not have to be combat, and when you do get into combat, I don't think it needs to be a thing with initiative and hit points and wounds. And it doesn't like need to separate itself as its own module of the game, uh, you, module and mode yeah, of the game. Yeah, you, you can handle it cinematically yeah. and quickly like any other task resolution. Storyteller, you know? player, combat, those should not be separate things. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, like, like I said earlier, like, okay, cool, you want to punch the guy? Roll your punch the guy skill. Uh, cool, Punched. you succeeded, you've punched the guy, he is unconscious, let's move on to the next thing that happens. Yeah. Well, don't we have to roll to see if he hit, and what sort of armor is he wearing, how many hit? How many points of damage? None of that matters. You punched the guy because your punched the guy skill was successful. Yeah. Now we move on. Right. You solved the problem. Yeah. You just used punch the guy instead of talk to the guy. Right. We move on. We move on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think the options are there. I would... 
I would encourage you to look at if you if you're having a hard time thinking about it, mm-hmm. uh, which I know Overwatch doesn't. And I know why he's putting this in there. And it's a great question um, is look at other systems. There mm-hmm. are plenty of other systems out there that are not D&D, that are not OSR, that talk about violence and combat and aggressive stances as just a different move within the set of things that you do. Yes. And once you can put your head into that space Mm -hmm. versus this is now combat and the music changes. Yeah. And the initiative gets rolled. Once you stop shifting the gameplay, Mm -hmm. everything changes. Yeah. Everything changes. Absolutely. So... Uh, all right, Rook asks, uh, going off of uh, DB's question above, how do you feel? Oh, so, so this was actually in our in our Discord here. Um, one of the questions we asked last week: uh, How do you feel about explicit objectives with win or loss conditions? Yep. So this leans off of that one. Um, if explicit objectives can be used well, is there a viability or helpful feedback on even having multiple, uh, having multiple to create that multifaceted encounter goal from one of your previous podcasts? As an example. Maybe the noble does get killed on your way out of the castle, but you successfully protect his son or capture one of the assassins and interrogate them uh, for info. Uh, you would be explicit as the GM, uh, as the GM in saying this, uh, though. Primary objective is protect the noble. Your sub-objectives are two and three, etc. You literally just outlined 7th C, 2nd edition. Yeah. Like, the... You have a goal mm-hmm. that has to be achieved. It's either achieve or fail. Mm-hmm. You then have opportunities and you have consequences. And that's it. Yeah. That's like a scene established that way. And they're literally single line types of things. Yeah. You can add additional opportunities based upon your success rate. Mm-hmm. But there's this is a whole system. This just works. Yeah. And I, 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 you, there's nothing to say you couldn't use that type of thing in other, in non-narrative more tactical games it just doesn't fit nearly as well because of the fact that the dice are your fail point right 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 and the the only other thing i would kind of add to this is like i mean because obviously yeah okay it's 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 okay to explicitly state these things to your players without a doubt um if for no better reason than it just keeps them on target Mm -hmm. sometimes we get a little muddied in in like which npc said what about who and what's exactly going on and what are my own player motivations and where am i exactly in this time where did you say the villain was it was over here well what is this thing over oh that's just a vent okay cool um that we we lose track of like okay we're actually all just here to protect this noble dude right and his son Okay, and there's assassins coming in. Maybe we want to capture capture one of those. Putting that out there on the table, this is explicitly the goal. This is what we're doing. Can keep you on track. But I guess I would... The, my only other question would be, what... See, it makes sense in a system like 7C 2nd Edition, okay? Because my role is going to be a dice pool where I'm going to be divvying up successes from that dice pool to essentially allocate to those differing tasks, right? Mm-hmm. So our goal may be, like, you, like you, the, the common example you like to use is, like, escape the room. That's going to take yeah. two successes. The room is on, the room is on, there's a, yeah, you're in the, a room that is on fire and the bad guy is, you know, and, and you are being chased. Yes, yes. So, okay, so it's one success to escape the room, mm-hmm. one to do it without taking any damage from right. the fire, um, one to evade the uh, crossbowmen that are waiting yes. for you across the street on your way out. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's an opportunity to retrieve something, you know. Yeah, and then if you've got like a, you could you could retrieve something, and you can allocate your successes wherever you want. If you want to soak the damage from the crossbowmen, but you want to grab those secret plans off of the table mm-hmm. before they burn up in the house fire. You can do that. Likewise, you, know? you can soak some of the damage to help someone else get through the room. But what, I, what I'm what i getting at, though, is that it makes sense in a system like that, where mm-hmm. I'm going to have multiple successes that I can divvy up to multiple goals. Correct. But in I would say in most systems, unless you... Most, like, OSR tactical systems? Well, no, I mean, because even in Blades in the Dark, you're only really rolling to solve one thing at a time. Right? Yes. One task is being resolved Correct. at any given moment. So, what do you gain by defining primary objectives such as these in a, what I would describe as a video gamey way of like, this is the pass-fail condition of this mission. You know, what? other than in your own notes, as we kind of answered right. to, to, uh, to DB last... Uh, last um, last uh, show other than in your own notes as just trigger points for where your own branching story Mm kind of comes off from what are you gaining by defining them in such in such explicit ways yeah unless it creates either a clear definition for your players because they're Mm -hmm. having a hard time seeing it yes in which i'm gonna say it Put the cards on the table sure so they physically can see them it reminded me of uh Cortex mm-hmm. with the dice because everything's is everything's just not it's not cortex. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. You know, it is cortex because yeah, you'll have you'll have like assets and stuff of that that are yeah. that are created. So like you have just... your room and you 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 know this is the like this crowd is right. I'm going to shoot of... out the lights. That's going to create a darkness D8. Boom. So I put that on the table. Something yeah. like that, but maybe not as explicit as that. But literally saying, okay, your first objective is protect the prince. Your second objective is this, and here's an opportunity that's presented to you within sure. the space. Having those out help the players, that's great. Mm-hmm. But setting them other than that, if it doesn't either help the players or assist you in directing the narrative, mm-hmm. I think you're causing yourself a lot of pain. Yeah, I was just, just uh, for me, I just look at consequences. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's just okay. So what did they do? Mm-hmm. They didn't protect the noble, but they did rescue the son, and they did capture an assassin. Okay, what are the consequences from those things? What's going to be the fallout from that noble dying? Mm-hmm. What's going to be immediate, and what's going to be long term? Yeah. Okay. Same thing with the son. Yeah. Does the does rescuing the son change anything about the consequences with the noble? Right. Does it change anything about the situation in general? Okay, they captured an assassin. Again, does that change the situation in a meaningful way? What did that assassin know? Will he even talk? Right. Et cetera, et cetera. You know? Yeah. A lot of uh, um, book adventures often talk about this, where they go into detail of, like, if they succeed, really great, and make these extra rolls, they can learn this other information, which mm-hmm. will help them later. No, those are opportunities that should be able to be presented anywhere. Yeah. So having opportunities, because maybe your players are going to roll exceptionally well, are always good to have off to the side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to say that a nat 20 on attacking one of the assassins doesn't just outright super murder them, but instead kills them but also cuts out the purse strings and now their contract falls to the ground mm-hmm. and they can see the signature of whoever ordered it right right you know right. or 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 a, a tabard piece falls off and you recognize the house you know things like that that draw the narrative forward and give the players insight that wouldn't necessarily be 
you know, different than if they had learned it at the end, but mm -hmm. now they know it further forward so they can make a different decision sure. along the path. That kind of stuff, I would say. But again, that's all behind the screen for you to just be prepared for. Right. right. Not something that they should be able to meet in explicit terms. Yes. Yes, so. agreed. All right. Uh, so Tetanalich asks, uh, what are some tips for overcoming stage fright as a storyteller? I'm going to explicitly say this. I still, to this day, almost every session have stage fright. Same. Yep. Hard same. Doesn't um, matter how many sessions I run. Uh, yeah, I always, I, I'll, we're always pulling out of my driveway and I'm going, I'm nervous. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Sometimes less nervous than other times, mm -hmm. but it hits me at every session. It's just yep. a matter of at what stage, like, am I sitting down with it mm -hmm. or is it happening the night before? It's always on the drive over. Yeah. It's always on the drive over when it becomes real for me. Um, as for overcoming it, uh, and, and pulling, pulling through anyways, um, Personally, I just kind of do a mental sort of reassessment. I do a, I do a mantra, you know, mm -hmm. essentially. I just repeat to myself that, like, my players are my friends. We're all there to have a good time. Mm -hmm. Things that I perceive as, quote-unquote, screw-ups on my part because they didn't go as I had written them in my notes or they caused me to improvise a little more than usual or whatever, um, most of that will never be seen or experienced by my players, and therefore I do not need to beat myself up over them. Mm -hmm. Everybody shows up to that table with an understanding that this is an improvisational game, so if I do flub something, it's all part of the game. It's part of the experience yes. of playing an improvisational game like this. And even if... I walk away from that feeling like it is a quote-unquote disastrous game on my part. Chances are my friends showed up to play Savage Worlds and have a great time, and that's what they will have done. Mm -hmm. We all got to hang out with each other. We only get to see each other once a month. Mm -hmm. We got to play a game together. We got to tell some stories. Everybody's going to have a great time anyways. So forgive yourself and relax. So I'm going to I'm going to tag off of you for just a second and then mm -hmm. I'll say mine. Even the most chillax game we play, which is Mouse Guard. Yeah. On our lowest night of playing it, mm -hmm. where we were storyteller and players, we were all kind of in the Yep. It was still fun. Yeah. Because it it I I remember uh our storyteller saying that he didn't feel that the game went well. Mm -hmm. And we said no, this was great. This is exactly what we needed. It was easy going. That we just wanted to play a game with our friends and you made it comfortable. Thank you. Like yeah. that even at the end of the session he felt that way and we all were able to reiterate it back mm -hmm. saying, "No, this is what we needed." Mhm. Mm so remember that no matter what you're trying to do, the perception from the other side of the table is going to be radically different. Yeah. And the the that just having that understanding is often needs to be the best thing you can do for yourself at the end of the session is check in mm -hmm. because sometimes you can get your best compliments then about the things that you did not think went well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, the one thing, if I can remember to do it, um, is I often try and write down a single sentence or two of some level of expectation that I can meet. Mm -hmm. something only I can meet, not the players. I don't try and figure, like, I'm not going to say players need to know this. Mm -hmm. Like, that. that's not going to happen. Okay, because 
they may not even get to that thing. Exactly. And we don't know shit about shit. Right. So, so but if I can say something to like, I want the story to feel this way mm -hmm. or I want to make sure my voices are good, mm -hmm. you know, or I want to, um, I want to express, uh, or I want to meet like in the case of my blades in the dark ending of the game, I literally wrote down the blades in the dark of let the story happen. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, let this, let the ending happen is what I wrote down. Mm -hmm. And I just kept coming back to that, that, doesn't nothing about this matters other than let the ending happen. Yeah. And yeah. if I can focus on that, I'm okay. It gives me a single focus point to really drive through and make sure, did I do that at the end of the game? Did I mm -hmm. let the ending happen? And the answer is, yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. I let the ending happen. Yep. And I focused on that. Anytime I came back around to it, that was what I put down. And I think, I think the, like the biggest takeaway from, from like both of our answers here is that like, Storytelling is not a performance in the same way that, say, like a comedy routine is a performance. No, you know? no. Because you've got other people at that table who are also performing. The story, you're called the storyteller or the, or the game master or whatever. I mean, it's a big title and it's a big responsibility. And sure, you are directing a lot of the action, but you're not directing all of it. No. And I, like none of this happens without your players. Without yeah. your player's input, without their feedback, without their own stories being told at the table, all you can do is facilitate it, you know? So, if your fear is that you're going to go up there and bomb like a comedian would bomb, yeah. you know, you're not in the same position. That comedian is the only person with a spotlight on Correct. them. Correct. If you're the storyteller, you are one of six people at that table who has Correct. a spotlight on them. Yep. You do not share the responsibility for that game, quote-unquote, bombing. Im improv theater. Mm -hmm. That is what you were doing. There are other people up there yeah. who have to play off of what you're doing. Yeah. And they are just as invested and just as part of it. Mm -hmm. So, All right. So last question comes from Violent Menace. And this just cracked me up so much that Violent Menace asks, Three ideas for campaigns without combat that Rob and Sarah would want to run. Um, and, and, and brought up the, specifically the Cortex Prime Hammerheads. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, well, Pacifist Menace. Yes. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> um, honestly, that's kind of a cool concept. Like yeah. when I started reading about it, I was like, I, I, I remembered reading it, but kind of skipped over it because it, like, at first was like, eh, whatever. I'm not mm -hmm. going to bring this up within the system spotlight, um, uh, to address. But at the, when I looked back on it and I started to think about, scenarios that I would run and that led me down the rabbit hole of like, okay, could I do this at other systems? Mm -hmm. and I was like, yeah, okay. I could see some other non-combat systems or even non-combat settings mm -hmm. uh, where this would be kind of neat. I've, I've dabbled in the idea of doing a war torn world where the players are not warriors. Mm -hmm. They're survivors, you know, it's, oh, yeah, it's not yeah. fallout four. It's Fallout 4 during the war, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. where you're just an average Joe trying to survive in the near wasteland of the future. Like, you're not a division agent. You're not trained in crap. I don't have power or armor or a laser rifle. Right. And if you come across one, you have to decide whether you're going to pick that up because that makes you a combatant. Yep. 
versus yeah. someone who is often rescued or, you know, utilized in some other way. And, like, all of that has weight mm-hmm. in a world, you know, and and it's it's an interesting concept yeah. of when yeah, you're absolutely. willing to accept to be to be a combatant and be part of the battle. Mm-hmm. Like when that investment point happens, um, you know, versus it's just an adventure. I'm just taking a ring to a mountain and getting it out of there. I am not one of the combatants in this group. Mm-hmm. You guys are going to have to protect me on this journey as best you can. Yeah. Cause that's not what I do for a living, you know, uh, for me. And, and I may actually take this route. I would say when, not if, but when I get around to running my adventure, yeah. Tells the Aeon Society game. Um, I want to say there's... I, is, I've never seen the show, but I understand just from, you know, osmosis, essentially, that the... the uh, this is the plot of a show called The Librarians. Yes. Um, but also the show that I would lean on heavily would be Warehouse 13. Mm-hmm. It's an old sci-fi show that was really great. Um, where the group is not warriors, but they're more investigators and recoverers mm-hmm. of strange artifacts. Yes. That really maybe shouldn't be out in the general populace causing yeah. havoc. Um, yeah. And so uh, having you be people who are maybe not even equipped for combat one way or another, but also your goal is never destroy the enemy. Your goal is always find a way to defuse the situation and recover the thing, recover the MacGuffin, and bring everyone back safely with as little bloodshed and harm as possible. Yep. Sanctity of life is important. Yeah. Um, the other, the alternative to that one in my headspace would be like Monuments Men. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you're in a war zone, but you're literally just one of four museum curators. Mm-hmm. Like, you could do that in a fantasy game. Sure. Where you're just like, yeah, you're you're all just mystical artifact hunters in a war-torn zone. And the king's like... Okay, we had some nobles who had a whole bunch of magical gear. Mm-hmm. We really need to make sure that that stuff doesn't fall into enemy hands. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it could be used for magic? No, because they're really important relics. Yeah. Like, oh, you mean they're not, like, powerful weapons? No, God, no. But if these get destroyed or, or lost... Centuries of history down yeah, the drain. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, humanity needs to continue. Yeah, yeah. Like, if they wipe all of this out, this wipes out history. Mm-hmm. We'll never know about Rothgar's stand. Yeah. yeah. Or, or or the weeping woman of Lake, you know, Wuha. You know, it's like, that's important history that we have to have. It's pronounced Hua. I'm sorry, I have a mistake. But, <laughs> but that's the whole thing is like, you could set easily a story like that. And again, steal from existing properties and you can find a lot. Yeah, absolutely. You can find a lot, so. I would say my, my last one would be... Um... I remember when we were talking, we did that workshop on Session Zeros. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I would still really love to see a, like, a spacefaring campaign that focuses a lot on, like, survival and exploration and, like, avoids the whole capitalism thing and, like, doesn't position you as space combatants or, like, having to fight off pirates or anything like that, like... Pirates are a hazard. Avoid, avoid, avoid. You know. Yeah. Well, so, first off, don't fire a gun in a spaceship. Yeah. Don't ever. Fire, right. <laughs> I think it was like Stephen Hawking or something like that that was saying like the whole concept of space combat is just insane. <laughs> you do not because want to do anything that punches a hole in a spaceship. Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
like I, I've watched one too many playthroughs of or, or, or games that are coming up, which where the like capital ships are firing other capital ships, and you see like rockets hitting the stars. But then when you see them firing their guns, they shoot through the ship, mm-hmm. and it changes the trajectory of the ship as they both from the firing and from the impact. Expanse did that quite a bit too. Well, I like loved they, it. They would depressurize. Everybody would put on spacesuits, and they would depressurize their entire cabin because that ship would explode yeah. the moment a gun hit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like. The scene where, like, a round cuts through and cuts a hole clean through the ship, and one of the guys clearly dies from mm-hmm. it. And they yeah. can't do anything about it. They're no. all just strapped in, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, would, I, would, I would love to see a spacefaring campaign that, that focuses a lot more, like, a very Star Trek-ish, I guess, in a way, in that, that, but, like, smaller crew. Like, if, if I could get Star Trek and Firefly to have a baby, mm-hmm. where it's a small, intimate crew on an independent ship... But focus more on the exploration aspects, the science aspects, the, you know... Almost like 2001. Uh, I don't know. I hated that movie. But, but but the concept is that, like, it was a really massive effort by the entire planet, which sent ten people mm-hmm. out in a giant super ship to try and, hand, like, figure out what's going on. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. You know, like, this is all of our resources. I wouldn't even want to saddle my group with that responsibility. I just but, want to be like... But that's the whole concept. is like, yeah. you, you don't get an Enterprise-style ship mm-hmm. when resources are tight. Sure, sure. You know? But, uh, no, I like that. I, I think In, that'd be fun. Independent prospectors. Find us sure. a new world. Find us a cool asteroid belt with a lot of, you know, yeah. magnesium in it. Sure, you know? sure. We'll pay top price. Right. Love um, it. Love it. Could, could be cool. Yeah. All right, so, next week's topic... Yes. Uh, we're doing a system spotlight. On a system that, when I saw it, I laughed. And I, am, I was like, this is hilarious to me. I haven't I haven't cracked the book open yet, but I am delighted with the prospect of getting to do so. We're going to be talking about Brindlewood Bay. Um, and this is a... Uh, okay, so you were positioned, your characters are positioned as uh, members of the Brindlewood Bay Elderly Women's Mystery Club. Yeah. Um, that end up uh, solving real murders. Yeah. Um, and it draws a lot of inspiration from shows like Murder, She Wrote and stuff like that, where... I just, uh, I feel like it would be Golden Girls meets Murder, She Wrote meets Nancy Drew. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't think there's any way that that show, or that that, that game doesn't turn out like that. Yeah. And yeah. I am absolutely delighted to show up in a big, broad head, uh, broad-brimmed red hat... And and get going on it. I've literally got my box, my magnetic set of Golden Girls stickers here. You do. I you do. do. I have it. You do. Are you wearing your Golden Girls sweatpants? I'm not currently, but I will for that show. Right, right. So, there you go. But uh, thank you for hanging with us for this entire re- recording <laughs> session. Uh, we, will, uh, uh, we will see you uh, guys on Wednesday of next week for that system spotlight. All right, well, anyways, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live on uh, MixLR every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time uh, on MixLR.com slash Storyteller-Conclave. And uh, please join us up on our Discord. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, We had a ton of questions this week. We would love to continue to get a ton of questions. Um, You can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. 
We'd like to thank our Patreon members, uh, Knox in the Box, Subjet, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, Hulavu, and Sean. We really appreciate all your support every month. Uh, we also have our pre-show music, which is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcaneanthems or on Instagram. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us. All of our friends have sat at such tables over the years to give you these great stories to share with you and you. Every single one of our listeners, we love you guys so much. Love you. Good, Good night. night.